hope you do. Open them to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to take a look. And uh, we're going to see what the Lord has to say. The big idea today is this. As believers, there should be a hope within us that is drastically different from the world. Amen? That is so different that people are going to go, what in the world is wrong with this person? Or what is it that they have that I don't have? And Peter tells us even in persecution that we're to show that kind of hope that we have, which is a living hope. And he says that be prepared. Be prepared to give an explanation for the hope that's within you. So the big idea today is, guys, have a hope. If you don't have a hope today, let's put our hope in the Lord where we're not mugwomps and down in the dirt and looking at everything that's wrong in the world and looking at everything that's negative. But let us be people that are different, that walk differently, talk differently. Michael, that smell differently, that have the smell of prayer on us like that guy Wigglesworth that we looked at. And in doing that, we're going to learn today about how to give a defense. Apologia, it says there in the Greek, of the gospel. That means an explanation. You know, it's easy to look at a person. Are we there? Thank you. All right, I couldn't stall much longer. No, I wasn't stalling. Uh, I'm using this. You, you don't need that. But anyway, uh, that's the kind of, that's what I want to talk about today. That is the big, big, big idea. You'll look up there, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to answer anyone who asks you the reason for the hope you have. Don't chicken out. When people want to know, it's easier to they go, man, you just seem like a positive person. It's easy to say, well, I was just kind of born that way, or my parents raised me to be that. That's all hogwash. The reason you're a positive person is because you have a living hope within you, right? And you say, I can have that hope because I know that, number one, God's Word is truth, Taunt Rita. She always says, your Word is truth, Lord, and she begins to pray the Word of God when we're together. Okay, and secondly, we know Romans 8, 28 says, and I believe it and I'm living it, all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. And you can stake your claim on that. First Peter 5, 7 will say, cast all your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. That is why we have a living hope. That's why we look different and smell different and talk differently. We are the salt and the light of the world. We've got to be different. We have this living hope. Why do we have a living hope? Because we have order instead of chaos. I don't know why I put 1 John 5, 19. Maybe someone can look that up there in a minute. But we have order in our lives instead of chaos. We talked Wednesday night about how in our marriages, when we live our marriages out according to the Word of God instead of the instructions of the world, there doesn't need to be chaos in our marriages. There's an order to our marriages that God ordained, okay? And then we looked in the very beginning about how, or we're going to look today about how Peter instructs believers in the church to get along with one another. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We should have a, not just talk about it, but have a, have a love for one another that is radically different from how the world gets along. And we're going to talk about how that looks today. So if you have your Bible, start with me at uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally. All of you be of one mind, and I love that term, one mind, comes from the word that we get the word harmony from, 
and I've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, that we're to live harmoniously with one another, having compassion for one another, love each other as brothers. That means love as families ought to love. Some families aren't too loving, you know, but we're to love as brothers, being tenderhearted, being courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You're going, how can I do all this? And the answer is you can't, but the Holy Spirit within you can. That's how you can do all this. For the eyes of the Lord, he's quoting Psalms, of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be, this is today's verse, ready to give a defense, or I'm going to say an explanation to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing well. We're going to get to the end part, which is about Jesus, what he did between the resurrection, or actually his death, and then when he resurrected, visiting a place that I'm going to just call a waiting place. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate your word to us this morning. Lord, I pray that it would change us, that it would prompt us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us in things that need to be turned back over to you, Lord. I pray that today would be a a great day of feasting on your word, Lord, and filling ourselves with what we need, Lord, to be your salt and your light in the world. So, Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes, and, Lord, may these words jump off of the screen, Lord, into the transcripts to the official note-taking, Lord, that you put into our hearts, and I pray this in Jesus' name. As I said, as we began studying this, we started off a couple of Wednesday nights ago with a pretty rough night, and it was submitting to government. And it was great, wasn't it? I mean, we talked about it, and Stephanie said she learned so many things from so many of you. We heard the testimony of our sister, Irina House, who talked about growing up in the Soviet Union under Soviet rule and how believers made it then. And you that were not there on that Wednesday night, guys, you missed one that I will not forget for the next five or ten years or however long I'm here. I'm serious. It was amazing. As she told us that they, that group of believers there, as she came to the Lord kind of secretly and her brother came to the Lord, that they kind of feasted on that verse that said, Lord, help us to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And what Peter is calling us to do is to get along, to not be known as lawless people. Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that government does, but we're not to be rabble-rousers and troublemakers, but we're to and, and we talked about what it means in a democratic republic or a republican democracy that we live in and how we do voice our opinion every time we vote. And we should, and it's our duty. And we talked about all that. It was getting along. And then we talked about getting along in the marketplace. And I talked about the duties that an employee has to an employer, not to be a, a clock watcher and to 
be a, someone that's padding the, the timetable. And then we talked about the duties to Christian employers, those of us who have someone come and work with us to treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we talked this last Wednesday about getting along in our marriages. And that was interesting. And we talked about that giant list of all these instructions for the women. And just a little bitty instruction for men. It said that as we dwell with them to do so with understanding. Well, I've been with this woman 43 years, and I'm not sure I understand her. But I try to dwell with her in understanding. And we talked about why there were so many instructions to women. Because being a woman in a Christian marriage is probably really a lot harder than being a, uh, a man. And so if you missed that on Wednesday, I'm not going to tell you why. Uh, but, but we enjoyed that and we learned together. And today, it's getting along in the church. How did Jesus, did Jesus say by this that everyone will know, uh, Jana, that you're my disciples if you've got your, your doctrine straight down, if you've got all your understanding of the Bible right up, or Lynn, that you've memorized all the verses of the Bible. It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another, all right? We have some differences and things happen, but he's telling us that our love should be so different that that is the radical thing that the world sees. And he starts off, as I said, there in verse 8 and 9, using this phrase, to be of one mind. And I told you that that comes from a Greek word from which ultimately we get our word harmony. We are to live in harmony with one another in the church, in this church and in the whole church. That means when we deal with folks from First Baptist or other believers who are in other fellowships that were to, to get along in harmony. And then he says, uh, another way I think that we're to be in harmony is in our appreciation and our study of the word. And one thing I love about the congregation at Union Grove is you guys get frustrated if I'm not preaching the word. I love that. I don't want to get up here and give stories and uh, Tale tales. I want us to analyze and see what is it that God's Word is telling us so that it can change our lives. And I can encourage my fellow pastors sometimes when they're teaching alongside me, I say, guys, if we're just talking and giving our words, we're really not teaching anything. It's God's Word that's going to be transformative Amen. and change people's lives. So uh, there's truth versus our opinions. And this is one reason that I insist that we stay true to the text. It's easy to wander off and get into nonsense. And, you know, I think that God's Word has something to say, and it's not really subject to our opinion. I want to say this. When I ask you y'all's opinions on Wednesday night, uh, everybody's opinion's interesting, but everybody's interpretation of the Bible is not necessarily correct, all right? God spoke His Word into being, and it has a purpose for us, and we discover and look together to find out what it is that he's communicating. So in that way, we're to be in harmony. We all are singing one song. And the song that we should be singing is the song of a spirit-led life. Amen? And we're doing that in harmony. But listen to this. But we're all singing a different note. I don't know how many people are here today. Let's just say there's 70 of y'all. We're, we're singing 70 different notes that all make up one song of a spirit-led life of a spirit-led church, of a Bible-believing church. Uh, someone who's visited here a few times reaches out to me on Facebook with theological questions. She says, what I love about y'all is the fact that you study the Bible. I'm thinking, well, hello, then why don't you come here? Uh, but that, that's a personal decision for that person. But we, we are insistent on, 
on having unity in our group. Unity is important to God. One of my favorite Psalms in the Bible is Psalm 133 that says, how good and pleasant it is to the Lord that brothers dwell in unity. It says it is like the oil, the holy oil that came down Aaron's garment. It says it came down his beard, even to the hem of his garment. David was, he said, that is as beautiful as it is. I don't know what happened, but when I quote that verse, it gives me even goosebumps today. Something happened when Aaron got anointed with oil and it came down over his beard and he had this, this anointing oil on him that was represented unity and the whole body of Israel watched it and it was magnificent. It says, that's how important unity is to God. When Paul wrote the church in first, uh, in Corinth, in Corinth, he wrote, remember they had a problem with unity where this guy was, it says, it says it's reported that there's a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law or no sleeping with his stepmom. But the thing, if you look at the text, that was bad enough. But what really bothered Paul was he said, and you were puffed up about it and you have not mourned that he has done this deed and that it might be taken away from you. It sounds like they were probably going, you know, we're a real tolerant congregation and we're just going to let this we're going to let Joe and Jill go do whatever Joe and Jill want to do and not say a word to him. And we're so tolerant. And Paul, and then others who had a desire for holiness and righteousness said, this isn't right. And it was that sin that created a disunity in the church that was so bothersome to Paul. And, and so it's a serious thing of that nature that they had that going on. Then, then Peter tells us to have compassion. And I want to talk about compassion for a second. If we look at it, he says that we are to have this compassion for one another, loving each other's brothers, being tenderhearted, and being uh, courteous. Compassion is interesting. I thought about this uh, as I prepared all this. And compassion isn't just where I'm empathizing or sympathizing, Michael. Michael's taught me the difference. For someone in their distress or their horrible situation, but where my feet and my hands go to do something to help. Y'all see the difference? If someone comes to you and they go, brother, just pray for me, please. I'm burning up in my living room because my air conditioner is broken. Brother, I will pray for you. Well, maybe maybe you should be thinking, Lord, maybe I need to jump in the car and get down to Lowe's and get a little window unit or try to find one and put it in for them. You follow me? That's where compassion takes over. It's where the empathy and the sympathy that we have, we say, Lord, is there something that you would have me do in this other than just pray to solve the problem? And this one thing that Pastor Larry is so good about is seeing these kind of physical needs. It might be someone frustrated that they can't measure the dipstick in their car, and Larry will go over there and help them figure that out sometimes. Just things like that. That's how we deal compassionately, and we are to have compassion for one another. Compassion gets my attention off of myself and gets it on to the suffering and the needs of others. Amen. And then he says to us, love as brothers and be tenderhearted. All right. I never had a brother, but I had sisters. And I can tell you, sometimes it seemed like they weren't so tenderhearted to me. I'm serious. I, I, I seem to remember one of them even biting me in church or another one scratching me. And I was always at a disadvantage because my dad would say, never touch a girl. They come up and work you over, and then you can't do anything about it, you know. So it's not talking about being that kind of a family. We're to act as a family ought to act, where we really defer to one another, and we look after one another, and we're tenderhearted. When I was younger, and not a whole lot younger, for some reason, I, and I don't know why I did it, 
Michael could analyze me maybe, I would see people and I would say sort of a snide comment and I meant it sort of as a joke. But now I don't, you know. Now I'll come up instead of going, well, here's a couple of jokers trying to figure out something. I'll go, here's two of my favorite people right here. But I've learned to speak to people positively instead of just flippantly saying things that might hurt, you know. That's a real important lesson in our lives. We are to be truth tellers to one another, but always truth tell in a way that's courteous. The Bible's very clear. It says, speak the truth how? In love. If you speak the truth to somebody and they are hurt to the core and there's no redemption and they just defeated, you know what? That's sin. We're not to speak the truth to people in that way. All we're doing is getting our own way and speaking our own way. And and Peter tells us to love brothers, being tenderhearted to one another. Sandy and I give advice to young married couples. We say, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. It is hard sometimes in a relationship to be kind to one another. It's easier for us to say, oh, I love her and she loves me. But kindness are just the little things, aren't they? Those of you who have walked with a partner for many, many, many years, you know, it's the little things that are the big things. It's me getting up today, and I don't talk a lot about our personal life, but I was sitting there in my bed this morning just kind of praying and getting ready for the day. And I thought, boy, it'd be so good if I didn't have to go in there and make my own coffee because our little automatic coffee machine's broken. And I went in there, and there was a full pot of coffee waiting for me. That's the kind of kindness that glues a marriage together. It's the kind of kindness that we show to hear one another that glues a church together. Because in a curious way, we're kind of married to one another as the body of Christ. Be courteous, he says. Have an humble mind expressing gratitude. You know, courtesy, I've told you all that my dad raised me and he would say every human contact is a chance for courtesy or conflict. It really is. Every time you have any contact with anyone in the church, it's a chance to be courteous or to have conflict. Choose courtesy. Not because dad said it, because the Bible says it right here. Be courteous to one another. And I want to talk about that. That even extends to our expression of thanksgiving. Overexpress your gratitude. Some of you in this church have a problem saying thank you. Others in this church, because you think somehow you'll be indebted or something. Others in this church, the thank yous come out of nowhere. Doreen and Randy told me one day, do you have any idea who sent us this note? and told us thank you for the service that we do? We've never had anyone say anything like that to us in a church. Guys, words matter. Don't words matter? In the affirmation I've gotten, some Sundays I've gone home and I've thought, that didn't touch anybody. And I'll get a text or an email from one or two of y'all that just goes, gosh, that spoke to me today. Thank you so much, and it affirms me. Let us be about affirming one another, all right? Just thinking of you, Daryl, looking at you. If Daryl comes out to work on my water well, go. it's beyond a business deal when it's within the church. Yes, I want to pay him generously, but I want to say, Daryl, thank you for loving me and coming and knowing how to do this and helping me. Incidentally, I need you to go look at, no, I'm, I'm just teasing. <laughs> just teasing, Daryl. Everything's working good. 
But those cards and letters and texts and emails that say thank you, they're so important. They may not be important to you all, but they're important to me. When I do a kindness to someone, I don't expect anything in return, but I do expect to thank you because the Bible tells us to be that way, to be courteous and kind to one another, tenderhearted. Even when we're not treated nicely, Peter tells us, you're going to receive a blessing if you don't respond mean for mean or evil for evil or tit for tat. Tit for tat should not come into our vocabulary. If I come and do something for you, Sister Diane, there should be no expectation in my mind at all of when I wonder what Diane, she owes me one. Diane doesn't owe me anything. This is the body of Christ, amen? And so you do the things that God lays in your heart. Be compassionate, be kind. And don't worry about the payback because Peter says you will receive a blessing. It doesn't say there, and you'll receive a blessing from the person that you blessed. It doesn't say that. But it does. If you speak positive into others, guys, this is biblical truth. It will come back to you. If you affirm one another, we talked about this in our men's group today, as a group of six or seven of us, how we affirm to each other. We see God's best in each of our lives. This is biblical. And we say that and we go, you're better than this. This is what I know you can do. And we just cheer each other on as fellow warriors. We've decided as a group, we don't like this term, accountability partners. We are fellow warriors in this journey called life. And what a wonderful thing to have guys to journey and go through life with. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Peter tells us exactly how to respond by quoting a portion of Psalm 34, 10. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Isn't that beautiful? The eyes of the Lord are on you and on you and on you and on you. They're on the righteous, and his ears are opened to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When we first moved up here and I got my first tractor and I first learned how to cut hay, I began singing, and I don't know what got into me. It was that Keith Green song, Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. That's what this verse is saying. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Let that be the song of your heart. His eyes are on this child. We are to seek peace regardless of whether others are trying to seek peace or not. Don't wait for them to apologize. You are going to wait a long time, brother. I'm not just picking on Tim. But I've had people say, well, I ain't going to apologize till they do. Well, you know what? Then you might just be dying with that that grudge. It's kind of like that ace of cards that we pick with Rich Garverino. He goes, you're going to die with that card in your hand. That's what he always tells us. But anyway, don't do it. Don't do that. Don't strike back, Peter says. The flesh wants you to strike back. Let the spirit control you where you don't strike back. Don't do it. And what does Peter say? You will have a good life and see good days in your kindness. When we understand that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, you are set free. You are set free to not have to keep an even score with this person that wronged you or that person that wronged you because you have, you are righteous before the Lord. You have the blood of Christ covering you. You are righteous before him and his eyes are on you and he will avenge the wrongs that others do to you. Amen. Leave it to God. He's a great payer backer than we are. And I've seen him pay back in my life. You don't always get that, I hate to say pleasure, 
to see it happens. But when you do, you just kind of are stunned. You go, oh, Lord, wow, I don't want to get on the wrong side of this, right? He answers all prayers, right? Your prayer may get answered, and it might not be what you like is what Sister Sherry was saying. That's true. Verse 13 and 14, Paul generally says that if you live a good life, you'll have fewer problems. That's true. Don't invite trouble. Don't poke your nose into stuff that's not your business. There's, there's a verse I love. I think it's in Proverbs that says, don't get involved in a dog fight where it's not your dog. What would you say? Don't invite trouble. You know why? Because life has enough trouble as it is, doesn't it? I mean, don't go poking your, and we all do it. We poke our nose in this person's business or that person's business, or we see this wrong, and we want to set that right. And we do all that kind of stuff, and we end up getting socked in the nose is what happens. If you're doing right and you're still suffering, because sometimes you do what's right and you, and you take a hit on the chin, he says, don't live in fear. God will set things right. He is aware of everything. And I always told my kids, this too will pass. When you're at that patch and it's a tough time and it hadn't rained for 19 months or however long it's been since it rained for those cattlemen out here, this too shall pass. I promise you it's going to rain again. I don't know when, but it's going to rain again. Then in 15, Peter tells us to respond if defending and explaining our hope. You should be living in a way that your attitude shines through. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We should have hope all around us, out around us when everybody else is hopeless. And there's a lot to get hopeless about. You know, when you go up and you fill up your car with gas and you think, man, I'm going to have to go get a loan to do this. Just wait a while. It's going to be all right. You know, you have hope. You just think, well, I'm just not going to, all I got to do is go to church on Wednesdays and Sundays, and I've got enough gas to do that, okay? So we, we just have to have that kind of attitude where we're not hopeless and be prepared to give an answer. I think all of you can be prepared if you go, well, I don't know how to be prepared. I feel inadequate. I don't know how to share my faith. Guys, all you got to know is two things. Say, someone says, why do you feel this way? Says, because I believe God's word is true. The Bible says his word is truth. Can everybody in here say his word is truth? Okay, you're halfway there to defending your gospel. His word is truth. And the second thing, they go, well, how can you rejoice in this situation? You say, all things work together for believers. Can I hear everyone say, all things work together for believers? You just now learned how to give a defense of the hope that's within you. Amen? That's real instruction. So you can jot those down. One is John 17, 17, Romans 8, 28. And I want to mention our faith for a minute. You know, I didn't ever think about this till seminary, and I can't remember the course that I was in. We don't have a blind faith. People will criticize Christians and go, well, you just have this blind faith. We don't have a blind faith. We have a reasonable faith. It's like I'll say to some of you or people that come to me and their life's all messed up, and, I go, and they'll go, well, how will I know that God can do something better with my life? I say, well, you've made a mess of it now. It can't get any worse. I mean, why not do that? It's a reasonable faith. If I have preached to you all for seven years about the integrity of God's word, about the integrity of his character. We have talked about prophecies that came to pass where we tried to share that to our young friend from Ireland uh, to show him the truthfulness of God's word. And some people just turn their, their mind off to it. God's word is true, okay? Our faith is not blind. Our faith is rational and reasonable. The fact that 
that God created the world makes a whole lot more sense to me than it just popped out of an Easter egg or a, a turtle on, off of a turtle's back, okay? You get a better explanation for it and bring it to us. Give me a better one than the Bible, and I don't think you'll have one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he filled it up, okay? So anyway, I just wanted to say that in, as you explain your faith, don't apologize for your faith. You have a reasonable faith that at some point when you heard pieces of the gospel, the Holy Spirit pricked your heart and you believed. That's that little jump of faith. You know, jumping over into that, you just go, wow, I hear this and my spirit tells me that this is truth. Now, when we share it, Peter says to share our faith with gentleness and respect. This means no Bible bashing allowed, guys. We don't run around and beat up on people. I knew a lady one time that hired people and the whole time quoted scripture to them while she really didn't treat them right. Okay. How horrible is that? They just left thinking, wow, what a Bible basher. Uh, we're to share God's word and share it with love and share it with the grace with which we came to the Lord. All right. I came to him realizing he loved me and he forgave me. And that's how we're to share it. So share it with gentleness and with respect. 16 and 17, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. He says, I'm, I just put my notes here. Don't fall apart when you're portrayed as the bad guy. Sometimes life isn't fair. That comes, I told my kids that comes under the life isn't fair rule. Okay, realize that you're going to be accused of things that are not true. Sometimes it's better just to not say anything. Remember what Jesus said to Pilate? Pilate asked him all those questions that it says, and he said nothing. That's a hard one for me to take and, and do. Sometimes we say nothing where we don't try to defend ourselves or try to work our way out of something. All right. My brethren, count it all joy. This is James, the brother of Jesus. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then we get into an odd set of verses, and I want to end with this and talk about this. For Christ also suffered for sins, once for sins, because we, we don't ever duck from any verses in the Bible. I want to make that clear from this pulpit that we take every verse of God's Word as the inspired Word of God, and we'll look at it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, to whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Any of y'all ever heard this, where Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison? Kind of strange, isn't it? Who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. And then he puts not the removal of filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Two things I want to talk about here is one is this idea of Jesus visiting those who were in prison. I may be wrong, but I believe that there was a time between the crucifixion and the resurrection, when Jesus went into a holding place, call it a holding cell, uh, that's kind of more the meaning of Sheol. It's, it's mistranslated as hell, 
okay? But I think there's a place, Sheol, that where the people of old died and went. I don't think they went to heaven. I think they were in this place that was referred to in Judaism as Abraham's bosom, okay? Or Abraham's, or Abraham's side. It is not purgatory. Purgatory is not a biblical concept, okay? But it was a place called Abraham's bosom. And Jesus talked about this in, Matthew, in Luke 16, 23. Remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? And it's kind of interesting, and maybe Dr. House would be able to comment better. Uh, I kind of don't think that the story of Lazarus and the rich man was really a parable. None of the other parables had names, you know. So maybe Jesus is giving us a real instance of a guy named Lazarus, and where he and this rich man were in Abraham's bosom, and where Jesus says that the rich man had denied God, that didn't honor God, okay, and was calling out to Lazarus saying, come and help me, or, you know, I, I don't remember all of the story exactly, but it was kind of a holding place where they were. And as I said before, that Jews have called this also paradise. I think when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, and it's how we're going to end, this day you'll see me in paradise, he saw him in paradise, and the thief said, yes, I believed, and I think they went to heaven together. I think the thief on the cross was probably the first guy that ever went into heaven after Jesus. But Jesus had to die on the cross for us to have a place in heaven. That's what I'm saying. He died and he rose again so that we would be with him. And again, I'm not going to fall on the sword over this. I'm just telling you how I interpret these scriptures that are right here. As I said, the rich man was in Hades. That's also translated into as Sheol, meaning the grave. And he was there awaiting judgment, okay? Uh, and I've already said this. I'm sorry. The gospel was presented, I think, during that time period. Jesus went down and he told all those that had died, here's the gospel. I am Messiah. I'm the Savior. And I think at that point, some said, yeah, you are. And I think they went with him straight to heaven. That's what I think, you know. And I say that because of other things that Paul said in some of his writings. Again, this is not a salvific thing. This isn't going to keep you in or out of heaven, however you believe on this. Paul said to the church in Ephesus, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts to men. Now this is he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I don't know. That's just how I read this, that Jesus during that time went and gave those a chance to be receptive, to honor God and to receive the gospel. I saw a great meme. I think they call me either a meme or a meme. This week on Facebook that's so wonderful because I love how it just talks about this hope that's within us. And I want you to think about everything you ever heard as a kid that involved religion or involved being a Christian, and listen to this since we brought up the thief on the cross. How does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? There's no baptism. There's no communion. There's no confirmation classes. There's no speaking in tongues. There's no mission trips. There's no volunteerism. No church clothes. He didn't bend his knees to pray. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. And among other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain. He did not heal his body or smite the scoffers. Yet it was a thief that simply walked into heaven at the same hour as Jesus, 
simply by believing. Say amen if you agree with that theology. That's it, guys. And that's why we have a living hope within us. It takes Jesus plus nothing, as we learned, equals everything. All right? And we get real confused when we try to tie a bunch of behavior and moral behavior and doing good things and tie that with somehow getting to heaven. You, as I was talking to Pastor Michael today, I said, you know, we don't do moral and wonderful things to try to grow closer to God. You grow close to the Lord through reading his word, through prayer, through submitting your heart to him and your life to him. And that is then evidenced with good works that come forth. It's, it's backwards to what some who are religious would have you feel, okay, or think. The big idea today, Devin, is live differently and be prepared to explain why you do. Everyone in here, y'all, we need to live differently than the world. We don't need to get wrapped up on what's in the media. Oh, my gosh. Has it ever gotten crazier? I mean, you, 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 if you look on the media, you think, oh, no, they're fixing to drop a nuclear bomb and somewhere. Talk about fear and chaos. I am so glad I serve a living God who is sovereign and in control of the world. And he's in, more than that, he's in control of my destiny. So it was true for the thief, and it's true for us today. Guys, we're to live in unity. We're to be prepared to give a defense of that living hope that's within us. And that's the reason for the living hope that's within you, because we have the same opportunity afforded to us as the thief on the cross to say, yes, Lord, I believe. And that's it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you made the gospel so simple. And Lord, we are pained. And Lord, we are bothered that man has made it so complicated and tried to add so many things, Lord, to make it about something other than you. Lord, thank you that it's all about you. Lord, I pray that this week that this congregation will have a refreshed, renewed spirit within them and would realize that you have them in your eyes and in your vision and you're watching us, Lord, through our illnesses, our problems, our drought, our lack of feed, our problems at the gas pump. Lord, you look down on us and you love us, Lord, and you will never forsake us. Help us to live that way this week and to submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.